Hi everyone and welcome to the Parma podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. Really great to be with you all and uh, again we have a new guest with us today um, and again it's somebody that I met through Twitter. Uh, I always Every episode I have a new guest, I say I'm really, I'm really excited to have this guest on, um, and I am. I'm always excited to have a new guest on, um, but um, yeah, it's true today again. Um, and so, welcome to the show, Carly Hutton. Hi, it's so nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Um, I've been looking forward to to having you on, uh, and Carly is somebody's quite active on Twitter and she is currently writing a book as well which we're going to talk about that a little bit um and um yeah we're going to hear her story so um yeah Carly kind of tell us tell us about yourself and your story oh my gosh where do I start um yeah well first of all I am in Canada and I am not originally from Canada. I am from the United States. I was born in California. And then um, I was moved by my single mom to Montana when I was uh, very little. And then we just kind of kept moving as I got older. And yeah, so I'm technically a U.S. citizen with a Canadian permanent residence, and the whole journey of how I landed there uh, is a bit of a roller coaster, and it's kind of been my party trick in the past to make friends, and um, because it's a really wild story, <laughs> and um, and I always hear, "Oh, you should write a book. This is this is so." This is so weird and 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 wild and and I never heard a story like yours before and so I started writing down the stories that I could remember um, about two years ago probably about the beginning of the pandemic because I had time <laughs> and um, yeah so I've just been slowly working on it the past two years and. I, I would say I'm maybe 75% done the first draft, that, that shitty first draft that everybody has to go through. Um, and um, yeah, so I kind of, it's a memoir and I'm still alive. So it's kind of hard to know like where to end or. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and and then there's lots of stories that I, I know things happened to me that would be good to tell but honestly I don't remember because I was too young or I've just sort of blocked it out because um, it was traumatic to go through at the time so I sort of rely on um, you know these stories coming back to me in pieces and uh, you know writing it down when I think of it and which can be challenging when you're a mom of two <laughs> children to just suddenly drop everything and write down a memory that I'm having or a story that I need to tell. But um, that's probably one reason why it's taken quite a long time to get 75% done. But yeah, um, 
I think that I think that it it will happen, whether it's self-published or whether uh, one of my book proposals that I've sent in gets accepted. Um, I'm just really I don't I almost don't care how it happens. I just want it to be out there and um, just encourage anybody that maybe has gone through something similar or um, is looking for the sort of real life overcoming of, pardon me, overcoming of obstacles. Um, so yeah, I, I have told my story many times. I have often felt like I'm talking about somebody else when I'm telling it. <laughs> I often feel like I'm been in a simulation, like this is the matrix. And at some point in my childhood, I, I, uh, switched over <laughs> and I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop and the simulation to end at any point. Um, so, you know, normal things. <laughs> um, yeah. So my, um, uh, I guess the, the things that I am really passionate about talking about is reconnecting and reclaiming um, my ancestry. So I was raised um, by a single mom. She's very white, very English, very conservative, evangelical American. Um, and I, I remember from a small child feeling very different from her. Like, I, I didn't know why, you know, because we often talk about nature versus nurture and how, you know, we turn into the people that we're raised by. And, um, but I have always known that there was something else, something deeper inside my bones and my soul and my heart. There was something more than the life that uh, her um, very narrow, very stubborn viewpoint was giving me. And it's taken a long time to um, really separate myself from that narrative. And I guess you could call it deconstruction or decolonizing or, um, you know, just individuating away from your parents, which we all have to do at some point. Um, but yeah, she, she was kind of like God to me when I was growing up. Anything she said, I believed it 100%. She was always right. She was always um, correct. And I had no reason otherwise to question or, um, or wonder, you know, maybe there's a different way or maybe, um, maybe what I'm feeling is actually correct and she's not. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, that knowing that I had in my bones from a child is um, actually, you know, I, I found out along the way that I'm an indigenous person. My father um, is indigenous to Mexico. He's a tribal citizen and um, I've never met him or any of his family members. So there's been a big disconnect between um, 
you know, knowing that part of me and that culture and that um, family. So I often don't feel like I belong anywhere and I'm just trying to find bits and pieces of, of what makes sense to me and uh, my heart. And so, um, yeah, I've never been to Mexico. I'm always jealous when people say that they get to go to vacation to Mexico. And um, I'm like, that's, that's my homeland. That's where I'm from. And I've never had the privilege or the opportunity to actually go there and be a part of it. And so it's been a really important journey of reconnecting and reclaiming, but it's also been filled with a lot of grief because um, I just, I feel like I've missed out on so much or I've been denied so much um, and like it doesn't belong to me or I don't have a right to it. And so I have to remind myself that I actually do have a right to it and and my body knew it even from a small child that there was more to life than white conservative american evangelicalism and uh so i think that's what saved me and what started me on the path of questioning everything and uh so uh i guess ultimately what led me here to canada physically is um you know, it's been interesting to watch everything unfold in the pandemic that, um, you know, with conspiracy theories and QAnon and the church and how it all just kind of gets enmeshed together, it feels like, that it's um, it's been way more prominent. But I feel like I've been watching this happen since childhood. It just evolved since the 90s and um i think everything changed when uh, i think it was about 1994 1995 maybe when we got our first computer in our house and we had access to the internet for the very first time and my mom who um was very already invested in you know the Bible and prophecy and how does the world end and, you know, revelations and Daniel and all this kind of stuff was being talked about in Bible study, you know, and um, now she had this access to people around the world who were saying, oh, I had a dream about this, or I have a prophecy about this, or this is going to happen and this is going to happen. And she believed all of it. And subsequently, so did I. So, from a very young age, seven or eight years old, I'm hearing stories about how the world is going to end and um, America is going to be under military occupation from communists and they're going to be arresting Christians and making martyrs out of us and, and we have to prepare for this end and uh, it was really scary for me. I mean, I, I think it would be scary for anyone, but it was normal for me. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, God God is coming to judge all of us. Of course, of course he is. And uh, And I just, you know, I was that kid that was like, 
you know, any camp or any church service I was in, I was like, I need to rededicate my life to Jesus just to make sure in case he comes back tomorrow, you know, and, and make sure I'm, I'm living right. And, and, uh, and all this kind of stuff because I, but I also felt different from all of my childhood peers who were doing the same thing because they didn't have that same end of the world pressure behind them. They, they had regular Christian guilt or <laughs> regular, regular yeah, Christian yeah, uh, motivation, the fear of hell and everything. They, they still had that, but I was like, no, this is this, like, hell is coming to earth. Like, soon <laughs> and we need to be ready so i was that weird homeschool kid <laughs> you know that uh that thought all these extreme things were very very normal and uh um so then you know we start hearing about the year 2000 and the new millennium and y2k and and how that's going to trigger the whole end of the world and systems are going to crash and it's going to be you know like all the all the things they've made movies out of like the walking dead or or hunger games or what you know all of that sort of dystopian post-apocalyptic thing like that we were preparing for that to happen with y2k like december 31st 1999 was the last day (laughs) on earth as we knew it as far as we were concerned. Um, so ultimately, that led to my mom uh, deciding that America was no longer a safe place to raise me. Um, she told me that she, that God, she told me that God told her that he wanted to separate me apart from everyone else. And that there was a special plan for my life and that we had to leave the country. So I am 10 years old and I'm preparing to not even reach my teens. And I suddenly find myself literally being smuggled into another country. I didn't know that's what was happening. Mom I remember she told the border crossing people that, oh, we're just, we're seasonal residents. We're going to, we're going to come back and forth every six months. And they said, okay. And they stamped our papers and then we never went back. Which, you know, at age 10, I didn't know the implications of that. But now I'm like, oh, that's <laughs> that's highly illegal, <laughs> and mm. uh, even before nine eleven changed all of our travel and how we go from place to place. Mm. Um, and mom bought this property way up in northern British Columbia, um, out in the wilderness, about forty five minutes away from town, and there were cabins in the woods. There was no electricity. We, we were lucky enough to have running water, um, and we lived there for about four years, and uh, it was not great. <laughs> uh, people, people nowadays, I think they romanticize, you know, going off the grid, getting away from civilization, and just living mm-hmm. off the land. But if you don't know what you're doing, and if you're not actually connected to the land, or the animals, or the weather, 
or just anything outside of civilization that we depend on, it's, it's going to be a rough time. And mm-hmm. so I was about, you know, 10, 10, 11 to 14, 15, just living out in the woods, um, waiting for the world to end. And, uh, wow. there were, <laughs> there were animals, grizzly bears and moose hanging out at our place. Uh, often, um, we had a farm and we were learning how to, you know, live off these farm animals. And I was chopping wood and I was, um, driving, uh, snowmobiles and hitchhiking to get places I needed to go. Um, yeah, it was, it, we, we were in town, you know, maybe once a week kind of thing. And, and we, I think we were talked about a lot <laughs> as the, um, strange American mom and daughter that moved out to the middle of nowhere. And, um, every time, every chance we could, we went, uh, to, big store and we we stocked up on food and end of the world supplies and we filled our barns with all kinds of stuff and uh and uh yeah it was it was just again it was normal but it was really frightening because every day brought us closer to y2k and the end of the world and i was like I was like, God, please change your mind at the last minute like you did with Jonah and Nineveh because I have things I want to do. I have plans. I have dreams and hopes and things that I want to see. I want to travel and and I want to get married and have kids. and And I remember feeling very selfish for praying those things because it was all about me and what I wanted to do. And it was not God's will, obviously. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, December 31st, 1999 rolled around and I stayed awake until midnight waiting for some cosmic boom and light to fill the sky and nothing happened (laughs) as we all know. (laughs) And I think that being, you know, 12 or 13 at that time, that was the beginning of the end for me as far as believing every single thing that my mom said or even believing everything in the Bible. I was like, now hang on. I was told that this was a prophecy, that this was going to happen. And we've invested so much time and money and resources and, and emotional turmoil to be out here and nothing is happening. So I was very disillusioned and very angry, even though in a way my prayers had been answered. I was like, well, maybe God changed his mind like I asked him to. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, know. but by that point, it was too late. We had already been in another country illegally for 
years. And so now it was a secret that we had to keep. We couldn't, we couldn't uh, do our back and forth thing that we had promised we were going to do. My, my mom still felt that the America was a very unsafe place and that, you know, even if Y2K didn't happen, other stuff was still going to happen. It just got delayed and, you know, and then 9-11 happened and like, it just all was like leading all signs pointing to the end of the world still happening. But now uh, we were illegal aliens in another country and we couldn't tell anybody. So I spent all my teenage years going to church, going to youth group. I wasn't going to school. I told everyone I was being homeschooled, but I wasn't actually doing anything. I think I stopped doing actual schoolwork probably by grade seven. And then after that, it was all about taking care of the farm and, you know, studying the Bible and prophecy and uh, learning how to grow a garden and, and how to um, preserve food. And, and it was all end of the world stuff. Like who needs to, who needs to do math or English or no history or science when, when, uh, the end of the world is coming. So mm. I, I just thought, okay, I'll just keep waiting and biding my time and see, seeing what's going to happen. And as we know, nothing happened. I became a teenager. I couldn't get my driver's license. I couldn't um, get a job. And everyone was starting to wonder about me and my mom and wonder, well, why can't you get a driver's license or why can't you get a job? Like we're all doing it. Like what's, what's going on? And I couldn't tell anybody. And so it just weighed on me and weighed on me and weighed on me. And then I, I reached age 19 and I decided that I was going to disobey my mom for the first time, probably ever. Mm. And I decided that I was going to get my, um, my diploma at high school. The diploma that is set there for people that had dropped out or for whatever reason couldn't graduate with their class, I was going to see if I could register for that and at least have something to build on. Hmm. And so, of course, the school asked all the typical questions, and, and I, I lied. I said, well, you know, I'm, a, I'm an international student. My paperwork hasn't come through yet, and I would just really love to go to school and experience, um, you know, Canadian high school, if you'll let me. And they said, okay, well... We'll get you started, and you know if if uh, if we get to the end of the year and your paperwork's still not sorted out, then you can just pay for the courses that you took. And then they asked where I was at in my schooling, and again I lied and I said, "Oh, you know, I'm about grade ten or eleven, I think." And I hadn't cracked open a school book since probably you know, like I said, grade six or seven. 
And so they said, okay, well, we'll just, we'll put you in grade 12 stuff and we'll just see how it goes. And you come to us if you need any help. So I did a full grade 12 year and it was the best year of my life. I like, I, I still look back on it so fondly because the world opened up to me for the first time ever. And I, I just, I had, I had to, you know, talk to some teachers and be like, Hey, like, what, what do you call, like, how, how do you define what an essay is? Or how do you, um, like, how do you study or whatever? You know, I was just, I was very keen. I actually wanted to be there. And, um, and I thought, oh, maybe, maybe I am smart. Maybe I can catch up. Maybe I can do this. And then I joined theater and we went on school trips uh, at different places around, around Canada. And I met people that were different uh, faiths or no faith at all. I met queer people. I met, um, you know, it was just, it was different and it wasn't bad or scary for the first time ever. And I didn't even know that that was possible. And um, my mom was nervous, you know, letting her 19 year old baby <laughs> go to school for the first time. She was nervous that the charade or the house of cards we had so carefully built was gonna fall apart. Um, but she was like, well, if we gotta pay for your schooling at the end of it, we'll just, we'll do that. And that can be the experience that you had. And, you know, end of the year came around and my quote unquote paperwork had not come through. And so when I went to pay for the year that I had just had, um, the school office said, oh, it's been taken care of. And I said, what do you mean? And they said, oh, someone anonymously donated to cover your whole year. And I still don't know who that person was. And I still get emotional about it because I think, I think someone, someone maybe figured out my secret and really wanted me to succeed um, despite everything that I was up against. So the fact that I still don't know to this day who that person was, I, I often just send a, a thank you out into the universe and hope that they know that it, it changed my whole life. And after that, I couldn't really be convinced anymore that the end of the world was happening and that non-Christian people were bad and that all the stuff that I had been taught was true. And so I decided to look into getting a permanent residence in Canada. And my mom was really angry. She said that this was going to get us in trouble. And I said, I don't care. This has gone on long enough. <laughs> and so I did. I applied for permanent residence under 
humanitarian and compassionate circumstances, which is basically what refugees have to apply for so that they don't get sent back to their country um, for no reason. So it gave me an opportunity to write out my whole story, what happened. Um, and it took three years of phone calls and meetings and paying for applications and um, being delayed and being um, being not sure if I was going to get deported or not. <laughs> and uh, after three years, I was finally approved and I got a work permit. And so I entered the workforce for the first time at age 22. I got my learner's driver's license for the very first time at age 22. And I, I moved away from my mom. I literally moved to a different city so that I could start living on my own and figuring it all out. And uh, my mom actually got deported. So that put a strain on our relationship for a while. And I don't regret the choice that I made. I am very proud of my 19 year old self deciding that enough was enough and I was going to live my life, however that looked like. And um, even if even if it got my mom in trouble or if it got me in trouble with her. So she had to um, go back to the States for a while. I lived on my own for a while and I had roommates and I started dating and I, you know, at the, at the time, I, my only regret is that in that time that I never got to express or explore my queerness in any way. Um, but I was happy dating and getting married. And my mom was given a four-day pass to come back into Canada to be at my wedding for the weekend. And that was the beginning of uh, healing in our relationship. And, you know, and now she, she's quite a bit older now and she's, um, physically dependent on us. So she lives with us right now. Um, and it's, it's often difficult to, um, to know how to take care of her, um, because she still believes everything that she reads. Um, you know, like I said earlier that this the QAnon and everything about the pandemic is just an evolved version of what we were reading about in the nineties. And she still, she still invests in all of it. Um, she, she still believes all of, all of these prophecies and things are going to come true and that, um, you know, and that the, that the pandemic isn't really real and, um, it's hard to um, to know what to talk with her about because she's invested so much time and um, and emotion and money into this ideology and um, 
and she knows that I'm queer and that I'm I'm reconnecting to my indigenous uh, family and so it makes things uh, a little bit um, challenging sometimes but I think the you know the the love is still there it's just how it's expressed is is uh, is a little bit um, hard sometimes <sighs> and you know and now I'm I'm married and I have two children and I just I'm turning 35 this year and I can't I can't quite believe that it's really real sometimes I can't I still feel very outside of culture and um, and knowing how to make friends or being educated I have had to unlearn and relearn so many things thanks to the the good educators on the internet. <laughs> um, and I'm, and I was lucky that even though I was still quite, um, suppressed and involved in purity culture at the time that I married a good man. And, uh, we have two children. We have a son named Harrison. He's five. And we have a daughter named Evie. She's three and a half. And um, it's actually good that we're talking about this in February because um, my son Harrison is diagnosed with a genetic disorder when he was one month old. It's called Noonan Syndrome. And February is Noonan Syndrome Awareness Month. So um, that's that feels like I'm always kind of talking about it a bit more in February anyways. Um, I had a really hard pregnancy with him. It was really complicated. Our birth was complicated. We were in the NICU. Um, and he's been a hospital kid his whole life. We go to BC Children's Hospital every couple of months. And uh, he's got a heart condition. He has four inoperable brain tumors. He's on chemotherapy. He's never been to school. He's never been around other people just because he's so vulnerable to getting sick right now that we've had to keep him at home and keep ourselves at home completely isolated for the past two years. Um, and so it's really important to me to, to be an advocate and to tell people about about our story and what we've gone through with him. And uh, especially right now, because we rely on the healthcare system that is on the brink of collapse right now. And I try to talk about how all of this stuff during the pandemic, it may not affect you because you're healthy but it means the world to us to protect our son and I'll do anything. I'll, I'll get vaccinated every year if I have to, <laughs> to protect him, you know, and 
we're not we're not raising our kids in the church like we were raised and it's just becoming a parent has brought to light so many ways that we realize that we were brought up and how we don't want to do the same to our kids we want to break the cycles we want to heal the trauma and not pass it on as much as we can um we we just want to be part of the world and it can be really hard sometimes um especially right now so it's been a journey for me to be so disconnected from the world as a kid and to grow up and be like okay i'm gonna fight for my place here i'm going to um, make my own choices and follow my heart and i'm going to raise my kids to be different than i was and and now it kind of feels like it's repeating all over again in a different way that my my children are being separated from the world and I'm trying to heal from all of my childhood stuff while, while parenting them. And, um, and you know, like some, like I said, like the, I feel like, you know, maybe that matrix stimulation I've been in for a while is, is ending. Maybe the world is actually ending now. And I was selfish enough to think that I could be happy and bring children into the world. And, so it's, it's been uh, something I have to remind myself daily that, um, that it's, it's going to be okay at some point. <laughs> um, and one thing that I have really clung to is the fact that um, much uh, indigenous teaching doesn't believe in the concept of apocalypse or end of the world as we have been taught to believe. I can't say it as eloquently as I saw someone else say it, but um, it's, it's important to note that the beginning of colonization was an apocalypse for indigenous peoples. That was the end of the world as they knew it from that point on. It didn't mean the world stopped turning. It still goes on, but you can't go back to the way that it was before. And, and you know, there's more to that. I obviously believe that we can go back to the way that it was before in our hearts and our minds and in the ways that we walk through the world pre-colonization we can try to go back to that but but the apocalypse or the end of the world that i was waiting for that we that many people wait for from biblical text it might never happen but the world as we know it has ended right now and how we, how we carry on 
it's so interesting to me that I was prepared by Christians for the apocalypse, for the end of the world, my whole life. And there's an actual apocalypse happening right now. And so many of them don't even believe that it's real. Yeah. Yeah. Because it doesn't look, it doesn't look like how they thought it would. And it's harming. Their ideology continues to harm people and leave people behind because they didn't, you know, quote, believe the right things or do or say the right things. And so I refuse to be part of that. I, when, when stuff happens in the world that scares me, that makes me think, oh, maybe the world is ending now. I have to take a deep breath and remind myself it might feel like the world is ending. It might feel like an apocalypse and maybe we can't go back to the way things were before, but the world will still carry on and we can still have hope and we can still respond to disaster in a way that doesn't harm other people that isn't self-preserving or um, selfish. And so that's why often now I, I can watch things like the hunger games or the hundred or the walking dead or whatever. And I'm not watching for the spectacle of it all. I'm watching the human behavior and how each person responds to um, trying to survive. And I, and I pick and choose certain people that I go, I want to be like that person when, when the chips are down and, and it feels like everything's ending. That's, that's the person I want to be like. And um, so, yeah. I, uh, I guess I am just writing all of these things down as I remember them. And I think I found a lot of encouragement from people online on Twitter and everything like that, because we've, so many of us have to a certain degree experienced that journey away from um, religious fundamentalism and we're all trying to get through it together to us. It might feel like our world has ended <laughs> um, and we're building a new one and I want to be part of it. And I want my story to be on people's bookshelves as part of how they want to rebuild the world also. So do I. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so do I, I need a sip of tea. That was so many words. <laughs> yeah. 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 That was, whew, that's an incredible story. Uh, and I feel like I barely I, scratched the surface, James. There's so many, there's so many stories I could tell you. Mm, <laughs> You'll yeah, just have well, to read them. You'll just have to read about them. 
Yeah, and there's always more podcasts we can do. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes let's do a let's do a book release podcast someday. Absolutely, we will. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> no question about that. Um, but yeah, you know, I said it before. It's an honour to bear witness to people's stories, um, and um, it's been an honour to bear witness to yours. And, Thank you. Um, yeah, and I know that I'm confident that everyone who's listening will be inspired by it and encouraged by it as well. And I really hope so. I I love the written word. I rely on it a little bit too much where because I can edit myself and change how I want to say something. And um, so talking in person makes me nervous, especially after being in isolation for the last two years. I feel like I don't know how to be a human anymore. Um, and, and this is my second podcast interview ever. And I, I feel like there will be more in, in the future. And I want to get better at, um, at speaking in a way that says what I mean and means what I say in a, in a eloquent and efficient manner. <laughs> and <really> today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish I could put gifts in my conversation, you know, cause then that would be really entertaining. <laughs> mm, that would be great. Oh, I love gifts. Gifts are the best. <laughs> <laughs> they the conversations are. on Twitter are the best. They are. Um, Thank they you are. for saying gifts with me and not the other. I used no. I used to use the other way of saying it, and then somebody corrected me, and so I used the, the correct way of saying it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> so, where can people follow you on social media? Um, on Instagram, I am at Carly M. Button, all lowercase letters. Um, I mainly post their uh, stories about um, my journey or my kids and what my son is going through. Um, and on Twitter, I am also at Carly M. Button. And there I, I ship post a lot more. It's therapeutic for me. <laughs> um, and I also just started uh, my own TikTok channel a couple of weeks ago. Um, if anybody is interested in that as well, it's also Carly M. Button because my brain is a sieve. And if I have multiple usernames for things, then I'm not going to remember anything. So I just keep it simple. Um, and yeah, I make, I make videos about... Um, my life. And sometimes I sing because singing used to be a huge part of my life and I don't get to do that anymore. So um, yeah, it's been, it's been a good way for me to stay in the world as much as I can and, and uh, be a part of things. So fantastic. Me. Fantastic. Going for, I'd say go and follow Carly. All those places, I highly recommend it. Um, yeah, and uh, again, thank you for coming on the show. Um, and uh, thank you for listening, everybody. <laughs>